the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome, guys. It's Emily back at the captain's chair, as they call it, with my husband, Jim. Hello. (laughs) Does does this podcast have a title? I'm wondering. Oh, yeah, that's right. um, What is it? You want to announce the podcast? Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. Jesse asked what a post-mortem was today, or yes, I mean, on Sunday when we were watching. (laughs) It was like, have we not, has dad not mentioned this to you? But anyways, it was another diagnostic um of whether this title is really working yeah, it's kind of a strong, strong play by mind. me <laughs> such a crazy year but yeah let's title the podcast with <laughs> so post-mortem. post-mortem um right so the post-mortem i have a post-mortem on last week's podcast i was listening oh, okay um Hit me. you were speaking to matt Harmon. you asked him um what his wife's best uh, advice to him as he like preached sermons, like what yeah. was his best advice, her best advice to him? I was interested in what, what my best advice has been to you. Are, are you asking me or are yeah, you going to tell me? I'm you. The best advice was earlier on. And so the rhythm when we first got started was I would actually like explain the sermon to you beforehand, point by point, offer you feedback and then get feedback from you. And I think the best feedback I would get during those early sermons was when you would tell me afterwards, I stopped paying attention. I just wasn't <laughs> interested at all. So that really tightened up my writing process because my interest I, level. yeah, your interest level was a barometer for all of my preaching. Right. And Luckily, it's not Jesse's interest barometer at this point because that would, you would just give up. Right. I think. I would say the most frustrating advice I got from you I in the early days. I didn't ask for most frustrating. Well, uh, you know, it's a two-way street here, baby. The uh, When I would, in the super early days, when I would explain the sermon outline to you beforehand, and occasionally you would say, yeah, that outline sounds good, but then come back to me after the sermon and say, that didn't really make any sense. You shouldn't have done it that way. And I was like, I got the okay. <laughs> Why are you coming back? Like, this, this was both of us, and... Don't sign off on something and then tell me later that it didn't work. That is probably a parallel to other things that went on in our marriage those days and maybe these days. Yeah, I was going to say went on in our marriage. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. It's House Lights Down. We're joining, you're joining us as we uh, take apart Jim's last sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if I have any critiques that he accepts or does rejects <laughs> this week. I did Time enjoy, yeah, I did enjoy the nostalgia of listening to you and Matt chat. Uh, we have been long-term friends and it's fun, yeah. fun to go back to the past and think think back to some things. Um, as we move to Call It Stormy Monday, um, you're starting fresh with a new um, passage, a new, a new uh, series. sermon series. Do you want to talk about it and how it hits any of those nostalgia pieces for you? Sure. So a lot of Harmon content lately. I began the sermon talking about Matt Harmon and our shared preaching origins. We'll talk about that a little bit later, maybe in some guitar slim pickings. And like Emily said, you are 
listening to the beginning of a sermon series, Liberty Callings with Folks. And the whole idea here was that we've had two long topical series so far at church this ministry year. First, Rusty George, Better Together, Discovery the Power of Community. I got a few ideas from him. It was pretty loose in terms of being connected to that book, but it was a topical series on community and then our Lenten emphasis. Yeah, it was important to talk about community as we were all in our little separate pods. For sure. Life pods. Yeah. (laughs) And also important to talk about issues of racism and systemic injustice during the Lenten series. So important. That that keeps on going on. The beat. Still happening. The beat goes on for sure. And after this topical series... Really, um, I consider myself, my my bread and butter as a preacher is just going through a chunk of scripture week by week. That's the right. preaching that we were raised on. Lectio continua is what the kids call it. So yeah. a continual reading of scripture. After these topical series, I wanted to get back to a book of the Bible or a section of the book of the Bible and go passage by passage. And Elijah seemed to fit the bill. Yeah, and you talked a little bit at the beginning about the the benefits of of diving deep into scripture verse by verse, word by word, um, as it compares to these concepts or themes. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about some of those differences here? Sure. So I wanted to, if it was going to be a book of the Bible or part of the book of the Bible, I was thinking maybe not New Testament letter. Let's go into the Old Testament. Let's do some narrative and try to immerse ourselves in a different world. One of the things I love about the scriptures broadly and also here is that there is things are so topical and fresh and they really connect to our world, but then there's an irreducible foreignness to scripture, which I think really comes through with Elijah. And yeah, it's a character that's dramatic. It's a character that has a lot of different twists and turns to it and a character um, that you told me a lot about when we began dating because Elijah had played a role in your spiritual formation in high school. Am I right? <laughs> Talk about nostalgia. You are you are hitting so many nostalgia pieces. You mentioned our friends Matt and Rebecca. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the pastor that we sat at sat under um, when we were in college who later married us. Yep. Um, some important moments. And yeah, this passage really resonates with me um, as one that spoke to me pretty clearly as a high schooler. Um, I really resonated with a lot of Elijah's um, meditations on life, on, on his role as a, as a prophet and mm-hmm. speaker of truth, um, and his role in, in feeling kind of alone in that. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to the chance to kind of go back and dig deep into this character. What was it about... Uh, Elijah that you felt specifically spoke to um, where we are as a church right now or a Mm -hmm. culture? Yeah, we'll get to a couple of those pieces later. I think for the the burden of the sermon series right now, at the big picture level, I just wanted to go into a piece of scripture and listen to what it says. So kind of on purpose, there wasn't a huge set agenda. If topical sermon series are all about, I want to hit this and this and this and this, I approached commentary work and beginning to study the Elijah cycle in a more open-handed way, which was refreshing to me. God, what do you want to speak to us through this series of stories? And I was struck in particular with this Sunday, and it's going to recur throughout the rest of the series, 
the central drama of Elijah versus Ahab. And sometimes there are sympathetic bad guys, kind of like in Falcon and Winter Soldier. All of the bad guys are sympathetic in one way or another. Ahab is a classic villain all the way through. Not sympathetic, not complex, just right. a bad guy. So you have Elijah versus Ahab at one level, but then the bigger picture is Elijah's God versus Ahab's God, Yahweh versus Baal. And I was struck going into this passage, and this connects to the sermon introduction too, about how the God of Elijah is a God that makes demands upon us. Right. And I kind of see how um, you've threaded that throughout the Throughout this whole sermon, the idea that we need to listen to God even when it's not something that we're picking and choosing. I do think with topical yeah. stuff, I mean, when I go to a bookstore, I'm looking at the topics that I'm already interested in, like, <laughs> I don't know, personality sure. tests or handwriting analysis or young adult sci-fi. But Hello, Inkwood Books in Haddonfield. <laughs> sometimes it's good to, or not even sometimes, but when we're talking about scripture, I think you were, you were really piecing apart that that concept that we need to listen even when it doesn't um totally fit our previous mojo yeah we need god's yeses and nos yeah. both so moving on to sun studios and how the sermon got made the bb king james version what was it about this specific passage like why did you jump into first king 17 as opposed to something else so this is where we pick up the beginning of the elijah story and for the number of sundays that we have this spring going into the summer I suspected, and then it was proven true, that we could parcel out passage by passage Elijah in a manageable stretch of Sundays. And part of the refreshment for me in constructing this sermon, um, and I think this is the first time that we've talked about it on the post-Sunday Blues of Preaching Postmortem, TPSB, the whole thing about preaching narrative. I guess I preached, you know, Doubting Thomas on Easter Sunday, but it's just going to be story after story here. And it's endlessly fascinating to me as a preacher to think about how I communicate and teach from a story. So these are authoritative stories for us, uh, the authority of scripture. What does it even mean to have an authoritative story? What does it mean for God's people to listen to a story and embody it in obedient ways? So if you go to like, book of Romans or some of those other New Testament epistles and listen to 10 different sermons from that same passage, they're going to look pretty similar and sound pretty similar to one another. But if you listen to 10 different sermons on the same passage of Old Testament narrative, you truly are going to get 10 different sermons. So there's a lot of interpretive choices that are fun and challenging for me to make when we look at stories. Yeah. And I guess parceling out to this specific story, I, I think that, or even just thinking about stories in general, mm -hmm. um, so, stories resonate so that they will speak to you more than one point of time. So when yeah. I was looking at Elijah when I was 17, I am approaching it very differently now as whatever age I am. Right. <laughs> um, for you, a story, I think that the strength, if we're talking about preaching in this show, um, yeah, tell me about some of the strengths of my preaching. Let's, <laughs> let's double click there. Okay, triple well, we click. could go. We could triple click here. I think your preaching is most 
compelling when it's story-based and story-driven, whether okay. you're telling your own story or you're using pieces from others. Like you will, we'll talk about this later in your like little format, but like Not you will be Elvis, the Elvis concept of like Elvis choosing his doctors and mm -hmm. that not being exactly the best uh, medicine for him. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. So sometimes if we just choose the Bible passage that we're most resonating with, that's not always the best thing. And I think also, um, when you go back to stories, I don't know how this is connecting exactly, mm -hmm. but my brain is going from piece to piece, but Let's do it. when you tell a story, it is engaging my brain. I think the hearts of your listeners, um, in a way that is more compelling than when you are just starting to paraphrase commentaries that you're reading. <laughs> right, yeah. And so that's actually going to relate to Scott, one of our Howlin' Wolves, with the email that he sent our sure. way. But yeah, I think that's true. And then you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think my family is a family of storytellers. Yeah, and right. so especially on my dad's side, my dad is a storyteller. Yeah. We, we were there with him last week and i think our kids i don't think they're putting us on here like no, i, I like, think they yeah. genuinely love papa stories and before that grandma jesse was although josiah did not like when you were trying to retell a papa story that he had just told us and <laughs> josiah was like we were just there dad he just told that you don't have to tell it again <laughs> that's right <laughs> well the thing about storytellers is they are story retellers and tell the same stories over and over again and yeah i think i think stories stories capture us there's a line from a james salter novel that i've quoted in sermons before one of my sermon tags when i go back looking for quotes is power of story and in the salter novel one of the characters observe stories fill us like the sun yeah. and so they do i wonder even if um stories at one level like that's the gateway when i talk about when i think about our own kids are learning how to read like mm -hmm. you read you learn to read really through immersing yourself in a story and being present in that story um and I, yeah i think our brains just engage better when it's when it's like that and i think it's interesting that i think god is really truly speaking through stories the stories of yeah our own of lives yeah our own lives as well as the stories of these people in scripture so um tell me more about the story of elijah right here right and so with Jumping into the Elijah story, this was another, you know, not horribly difficult or we all have our own crosses to bear kind of challenge. But we're picking up in 1 Kings chapter 17, which means there's been 16 chapters in this ancient book before this. And so about a third of the way into the sermon, I spent a fair amount of time filling in some, some backstory. And it's always one of those things where like, I don't want to give too much or too little backstory but sort of went through that's where i use the strokes is this it where first kings is a huge letdown god has been building to bringing his ancient people the israelites to the promised land really throughout the whole bible so far they finally get there so it's abraham isaac jacob moses joshua judges first and second samuel king david and now we're here in the promised land. Everything should be awesome, but it's not. So I kind of fast forwarded through a lot of that. I, I don't know. Do you think that that stuff landed or was important or did it did it speak to you or was it just kind of like blah, blah? I think probably for me it was important context, but I don't know that it would necessarily have um, stuck in the same way. I, I'm right. I'm looking at my notes. I mean, I think that the 
concept of the relevance of Elijah and where Elijah was from. Mm -hmm. um, those parts, Elijah being from Jersey, I don't know. <laughs> Classic New Jersey, Elijah. <laughs> Would you have said that if we were in Texas? <laughs> well, I actually made that same joke. Oh, did you? At Liberty Mainline, when I preached the same sermon, Elijah on, was not on Saturday from Mainline. Night. No, I said this is how people at the Mainline think <laughs> oh, about Jersey. Like, like is that enough. really a place? And so I think it actually worked better in the Mainline. Actually, uh, right, right, right. Jersey was just like, huh? <laughs> yeah, like why? Why are you making fun of New Jersey to us? It's, there's never a good time. Always too soon. I uh, I don't think that's true. But, um, anyways, but the idea of Elijah's backstory and mm -hmm. how it's relevant. Right, and then. One other crucial bit of stuff that I got from the commentaries that's going to continue to play a role in this series is if it's Elijah versus Ahab, Yahweh versus Baal. In a specific way, Baal is the storm god, the god of rain. And so if 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6, the sermon passage for this past Sunday featured the beginning of a long drought, the fact that it's not just any type of wrong that's going on or hardship in the world it's Baal the storm god where Yahweh is withholding rain in that context which to me makes a huge difference Baal's not just any god but a very sure but a god very connected to what's going on with the drought right um do you see that as something that we're how do you see that as connecting to our present day circumstances I think there are a lot of Baals. I think there are a lot of mm -hmm. Ahabs just in the sense of power brokers or ideologies of one kind or another where this is the God to whom we sacrifice, what we go to in order to make our worlds more manageable and more controlled. But the thing about idols and false gods is that they don't give to us, they take from us. Sure. And so whether it's... What is your power broker? <laughs> <laughs> or should I say who? <laughs> Who is your power broker? Yeah, we're not going to spoil that one, Winter Soldier Because we Falcon. don't know. There we go. Also, who is, seriously, who is your power broker? You. <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, are you calling me the god of, what, wait, storms? No, you're, you're, you're my Sharon Carter in more ways than one. Wait, you're saying Sharon Carter is the power broker? I did not say that. <laughs> How do you even know? Podcast. Okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Muddying the waters. What was fun or difficult about constructing this sermon besides having to draw in DC versus Marvel? Right. Like you just said, I'm excited to dig into the context of thinking about that we live in a world of bales. All of these political, secular political ideologies that I think are deeply formative to us. And how do we build out a scriptural worldview and muscles against secularities in dialogue with serving everybody, loving everybody, but in contrast to and against the hegemony of secularity. I think in the podcast with Matt last week, um, I talked about how I heard this stat that for every hour of Christian content, however that's defined, right. that people consume during a given that Christians will consume during a given week, there's 30 hours of non-Christian content. Right. And, you know, we need to nuance that a little bit. Like, we don't want our people only to read and uh, listen to Christian stuff all the time in some weird tribal way. But the flip side is that I feel the formative power, and then we talk about this with our own kids, just 
social media and sure. all that stuff, how there's, there's nothing that's neutral and we continually are formed by ideologies, whether we want to or not. And so, you know, nobody's saying in Collingswood 2021, I really love Bale. That's my God. But we're still being formed by the powers. Sure. So you're saying I should be spending less time listening to podcasts about 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How yeah. are you being formed for that? That's what I want to know. Well, probably, I mean, to be serious, I probably do tend towards escapism with a lot of the podcasts I listen to and fill my brain with. So yeah. I think that is important. And um, maybe this podcast can be some of that, like where we are trying to still keep things light and um, energetic, but also thoughtful and reflective about, about deeper things. So I think taking a chance to try to examine where your personal idols are is probably not a bad thing. Yeah, and absolutely, that's one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast, because a lot of people listen to podcasts, it seems like, and we want to have a formative voice for the gospel in the midst of the liturgies of our week, the Tish Warren sort of stuff. And in connection, M with Bales forming us in a lot of different ways, I really do like the image, and to skip for just a second to bar band cover tunes and i know that you're a huge star wars fan to that section well we, yeah, let's go back and forth a little bit thinking about and for our listeners emily is emphatically not a star wars Me? fan there's i the <laughs> i'm an anti-fan you're an anti-fan if if there's such a thing when we were dating the last semester of college oh my episode gosh one, he drug me to the movie episode one he like he told me ridiculous uh, i don't know i spent ridiculous hours being told how great this movie was gonna be mm-hmm and then it happened not to be great. So you, so you had no. Seen... So the problem was not that it was not great because if you had walked out of the theater well, and said, the "Yeah," if you had said, "Yeah, that was not as great as I said it was." No, the problem was that you defended it for like a month, yeah. saying that it was the still the greatest movie ever, <laughs> even though like everybody was panning it, including me. Right. The fact that you were like standing up for it—that um, was the problem, and that. That ended my Star Wars fandom. Before it started. <laughs> yeah, so, so the idea was, M, you hadn't seen any of the original Star Wars movies, and in our dating relationship, episode one was coming out, so I thought, here is a tabula rasa, a clean slate, where, where we can start the movies in order, and you can watch them. I was them excited. I was all on one, board. two, and three over the years, and then four, five, and six. You were very convincing. That didn't happen. Yeah. So, you have not seen Star Wars Episode Four, the first one. But I, that... You know, I think I did when I was little, and then I fell asleep. Okay. It, so. Right. <laughs> so, you treated it like a sermon. And Episode Four, Obi-Wan Kenobi is introduced to us as this figure wandering on the periphery of the desert wilderness, uh, but comes and speaks to Luke of the old ways. That image was captivating, at least to me, thinking about, hey, maybe this is where the where the church is right now, where we're on the periphery, we're trying to help people, trying to serve people, speaking of some old ways, uh, but we're not in places of power right now. And really, that's a better place for the church when the church has been in places of power. Historically speaking, it hasn't gone well, mm -hmm. but been thinking about, and we'll come back to this in Elijah too, 
the church as the gadfly, the new outsider, sometimes seen as weird, sometimes not, uh, but sometimes in step, sometimes out of step. And Elijah, pretty directly, is somebody that's out of step with the kingdom of Israel in First Kings. Sure. Um, so that's the, you, know, you have jumped to Barbie and cover tunes without allowing the the captain of the podcast to move to the next section. Well, captain, my captain. Kind of offended, but... <laughs> um, and jumping into the first the first uh, analogy used with Star... Or the st first reference with Star Wars, mm -hmm. um, I did notice that you threw in Myers-Briggs and Enneagram. Was that to <laughs> alleviate the grief you'd get from me about Star Wars? Yeah, tossing you a bone every once in a while. Yeah. So preaching is really just marriage therapy. So... <laughs> Yeah, there, there, there's that. And with muddying the waters, a couple more pieces here before we go. <laughs> Wait, you're going backwards again? I thought I was clear. We're skipping <laughs> down, but then, but then we'll skip back, skip back up. Oh, I love this outline so much. The and that's not sarcastic. I really do, do love the outline. Do how even uh, notice the outline? I feel like. I, I... Well, that when when I talk to young preachers about preaching, mm -hmm. I say the outline. It doesn't matter if people know the bones of the sermon but they'll listen better if the bones are there so hmm. Hmm. also testing. with the, <laughs> with the test it next time i'm gonna throw out the outline i'm just going i'm gonna i'm just gonna free free you form listen. it's it's like when you're riding in a car and you're you feel you're not thinking about the car ride if the driver is a good driver but you are thinking about the car ride if the driver is a bad driver so world of bales the question and i think it's something relevant for both Christians and non-Christians. Is God real and will God show up? Is God real and will God show up? I, I think that's a practical question. Talking with a couple of people at Liberty Collingswood this week, as that dialogical thing happens when I my, my receptors are open to what's going on pastorally with people and it's incorporated into the writing of a sermon. There are people at our church where they need God to show up, where sure. they're in tough spots. And it's a very real question. Is God real? Will God show up? God, I need the equivalent of, of ravens uh, to come and give some provision. And I think a lot of people are stretched right now, including myself. As life continues to be crazy, is there such a thing as a sovereign God who's ruling all over, who's ru ruling over all of this mess? And if there is a God that's Lord of us and Lord of all things, that needs to shape our walk and our worldview. Will God show up? And I think skeptics will say, no, God will not show up. And mm -hmm. that's a good thing. But then where are we left? Right, right. I think that's um, an important piece to be meditating on during the season. Um, yeah, will God show up? I feel like you're saying that there are some people in our congregation who might be feeling that. I feel like it's everyone who has not been affected by yeah. um, what we're going through. And I think that the story of Elijah may be the one that um, engages a lot of these issues. I hope so. And related to that, one other thing. Um, so this is a passage where Elijah is brought in a drought to a brook where God miraculously gives water and is provided by ravens, both bread and meat. Not sure what he did for vegetables, but the, <laughs> the, the important food groups were there. Getting people to try and trust God's provision. And it, it's a rhetorical challenge a little bit in sermons just to give some drama there because the resolution is pretty fast. Elijah isn't down in the dumps for too long. There's no dramatic tension. Will he be provided for? It just happens really quickly. Getting people to trust in that, but then the whole 
question of, but what if God doesn't provide? And we're called on one hand, I think, to trust generationally God's provision for his people. But then we all have real life circumstances when we were praying really hard for something and God didn't give the answer that we wanted. So wanting people to be bold in their trust and faith, but then also understand that it's a misapplication of a text like this. And preachers have done this sometimes, and we've both heard Right, to just say that. To make it some sort of stilted guarantee, as God brought through Raven's provision for Elijah, whatever you need this week, just open your inbox, open your mailbox. I guarantee you that it's going to be there. Yeah. 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 So, so, So how do we strike a balance of robust faith with not saying that because of A, God is going to provide B and C automatically? So... That's a challenge periodically that I face in preaching, and it showed up again this Sunday. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that overall, it's a, I'm excited about about to hearing more and kind of unpicking or unpacking this story once again. Right. Um, let's move back on to bar band cover tunes, even though we already addressed one. Right. You actually had a lot of um, references this week. It was fun. Well, I, like I didn't preach last Sunday. Brandon Best did a really good job in my place. And so it only takes the a Sunday for the, for the pop culture build up to occur. <laughs> you started with my favorite Elvis. Right. Or maybe it wasn't started exactly, but no, that was early it on. It was That's like true. the, one of the like core spinal callback ones that you were using as the frame. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe careful Howlin' Wolves listeners will, wonder is there some marriage strife going on between jim and emily right now because i'm using a lot of pop culture references that you hate in this particular case you're talking about elvis as fat and kind of the pick and choose of his doctors leading to um the flourishing that it did you know i'm not really that opposed to it okay so if we're talking about fat elvis (laughs) dying in the bathroom you are all for it which is what i was talking about so the elvis presley bubble of him controlling all of his inputs and outputs himself, including scripts from doctors, and using that as a metaphor or analogy about how we can construct and curate our own bubbles, but I think to our own detriment. Right, right. And yes, I, I really dislike Elvis, like passionately dislike Elvis. Thanks, King. I think I hate Elvis more than I hate Star Wars. Because if Star Wars is on in the background, I will like shrug. Yeah. Yeah, I I think we need a, another, at least a Twitter feed for this podcast, like Nihilist Post Sunday Blues, where we just give all of our like negative, anti everything pop culture takes that would be on there. Okay, well, I did. I think I thought it was a good analogy. I appreciated it. And then you jumped into like Flash versus Superman, and I was just right. like, who's the Flash? <laughs> Yeah, I should, I should have disclaimed that I sometimes go DC. Emily is less less enthusiastic. You in told that me direction. not to be. I converted to Marvel and then like you told me not to pay attention to DC and so I don't and then when you use an analogy I'm very confused right (laughs) what is going on so yeah referenced Superman and Flash in the building yesterday was Mike who's a really big DC fan he wasn't totally on board with the analogy there either Mike slap him around right he is an MMA fighter so (laughs) Uh, please don't I'd love to see you take Jim down (laughs) (laughs) yeah it, would, it could be the one time where you would actually show up for an athletic event that I'm a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Mike slapped out. A fun fact is that um, Jim punched a hole in a wall during during a uh, or right after a 
basketball game. Actually, several, right? Two, one in high school, yeah. one in college. Yeah. Holes in walls. I, I have broken bones from punching things, yeah. unfortunately. So I've heard those stories, and I just decided I don't really need to show up to see angry Jim. <laughs> <laughs> right. Jim Anger. Yeah, Emily would not like me when I'm angry. Yeah, but you've, got, you've settled down. You've mellowed. A little bit. You don't play basketball anymore. No. Except against our poor children. Right. Anyways, moving on. I No, but uh, you, do you want to explain the Flash versus Superman one? I really genuinely didn't understand what the parallel was. Sure. So just to recap, <laughs> it was Yahweh versus Bale and the whole thing about <laughs> Yahweh coming like home court attack on Bale's wheelhouse. Bale is really good supposedly at storms. Yahweh says, yeah, I'm really good at that too. And I'm good at everything else. Classic DC conundrum. Who's faster, Flash or Superman? It's the Flash's one superpower, but Superman has like all of the superpowers. And so it's sort of like... So God is Superman? Superman, right. And Ahab Flash is, is Bale or, or Ahab. And Superman's just better at everything. That's the bottom line. Not everything works in a sermon. Okay. Yeah, well, we said... <laughs> Matt, Matt Harmon said last time that from Richard Baxter, the old Puritan, every sermon needs to contain at least one thing that people don't understand so that people don't get cocky and think, oh yeah, I could preach a sermon too. You are welcome for Superman and the Flash. Got it. Um, I have something about some band, The Strokes. Right. <laughs> I have that. They actually it's won a Grammy this year. A dad band. Dad bands are winning the Grammys? It was a callback and there were a lot of, you know, think pieces about was a very middle-aged year. white band getting a grammy yeah, yeah. it's so problematic of course um any other references you want to highlight yeah a couple of, in the more serious direction is ian mcdonald the science fiction writer in britain late 20th century talking about the meaninglessness that's seeping through culture so the whole thing about materialism either in the narrower sense of consumerism or in the broader sense of a material world with no heaven above, no hell beneath sort of thing. No God, no meaning, no purpose. Right. Usually when I give this quote, and this has been a couple of times, I do mention the fact that McDonald wrote a lot about meaninglessness in his fiction and nonfiction and eventually took his life. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like that's an over-sensationalistic detail to give. But then on the other hand, I don't know. I think there's... That's what the commitment to his yeah, I think, philosophy Yeah, I think there's something to that. And then Leslie Newbegin in the Gospel and Pluralist Society just talks about that modern malaise in terms of if there is no point in the story as a whole, there is no point in my own action. And I do think that that's a, a weak point in Achilles' heel of secularism where we spend so much time trying to build meaning into our lives but then at the theoretical level spend so much time and energy saying that there's no meaning to any of this that's sure. a it's a tough place to live it's a tough space to inhabit on an ongoing basis right i think that exploring where there's meaning maybe coming to this story of elijah or coming to this god um and examining the claims um is important yeah so i i think the references both the funny and the more serious they are again they're illustrative of the the fact that story kind of captivates our minds and helps us to be a little bit more reflective yeah it's on the what makes a liberty sermon preaching sheet we need oh. high culture and low culture references mm. which are the low <laughs> you don't go to 90 day fiance you should watch with me sometime yeah there's high culture <laughs> there's low culture and there's no culture 
Anyways, uh, Alan Wolves can are fill we allowed in to what's move what? on here? Yes. <laughs> Guitar Slim Pickens, that means any leftovers, any anything else that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I have two things here. One, something I try to do every sermon that I preach is have a telos or a concluding, not necessarily last in the sermon, but talking about how Jesus crucified and resurrected is a climax and an endpoint for different threads from the Bible passage. Some weeks I do it better than others, I think more elegantly or less elegantly. This was one of the weeks where I couldn't quite figure out where to put in the cross. I mentioned it towards the beginning about one of the things that I love, Norm's preaching. And then it was a little bit of a white flag, you know, or whether it's preaching a sermon or cooking a meal or executing a project of one kind or another. Are Sometimes you, you think that uh, was a bad analogy. So <laughs> that was the impersonal you, not the person that I am sitting across from and saying no the word you. So, you know, sometimes you finish whatever you're doing and say, oh yeah, that, that came together really well. But then other times it's like, oh, that didn't really work the way that I wanted to, but you know, we have to have dinner. So I just kind of stuck the cross in at the end, whereas God, provided sustenance and provision for Elijah through the ravens at a greater level, climaxing God's story. God the Father has provided for us Jesus crucified and resurrected for us and for our salvation. It didn't feel very elegant, but I also am not going to put Jesus in a sermon, so it just sort of yeah, I don't think it, yeah, I would, I will push back and say, I don't think it was just stuck on. I think that that's central and, and present in the story for sure. It is, but, or maybe, maybe I'm just like complimenting myself in a backdoor kind of way. To get me to compliment you? Oh yeah, oh. I'm fishing. Yeah, so. You got the fish. I, I, I felt like it, it was a little obvious. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> obvious is good um, because it's true. Um, anything else though that you wish that you could redo? Not redo in this case, besides what I just said. <laughs> and then, sure, you would have and yeah, the, the other thing, it was fun talking in the beginning of the sermon about Norm Coop and just to right. circle back to that. Um, it was preaching that was deeply formative yeah. for both of us. Yeah. What was it that you loved about old Norm? Hmm. I... You started going to that church before I did. Sure. It, I wasn't going to any yeah, church. Yeah, I think it's true that like what you said what matt said last week that there was something about his preaching that really spoke uh authentic truth um where it wasn't trying to fish around for polite ways of saying um that we kind of are all trapped in sin and need, yep. need a savior there's grace mm -hmm. so i think that was really powerful to hear and really clear and i was um ready at that point to hear something some clear truth as opposed to um something more watered down um yeah and there was something i remember joking with you and others like you could kind of tell when norm had it like that yeah. the morning of like just when he was like doing the red the regular opening greeting you could tell oh this is gonna be good because there was something was in his the tiger sunday voice yep um i'm trying to think if you have that tell i don't really think you do except for homilies i can always count on being being bad bad yep <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Maybe when you used to do the like the like opening credits yourself, right? <laughs> your your stand up comedy. The monologue. Yeah, the monologue. The monologue slash announcement. The monologue could sometimes give you a little bit of a taste. Right. Yeah. The 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 flip side. So I'm in the ten to twelve hour range with sermon prep per sermon, 
Norm was one to five hours, which was right. like a crazy <laughs> short like side. Flip open the Bible. Right. And and so one of the things that we joke about with Matt and Rebecca is like Norm would say, Yeah, I'm between one and five hours. And I think it was Matt that said, Yeah, we can kind of tell those one hour <laughs> preparation sermons. So <laughs> it's still admirable. Right. Still yeah. admirable. And, and sometimes sometimes you gotta do it one way or another. Sure. Just bang it out. Yeah. So good nostalgia pieces. Um Connecting that to like the Howlin' Wolves and as we get to questions or mm-hmm. questions and notes from the listeners. If you guys have questions about Jim's past, my past, uh, mm. I, I think that could be interesting. If you want to hear more stories, uh, that could be interesting. You could ask ask away. Backstories. Well, yeah. Um, I will definitely choose the ones that are juicy. Maybe. <laughs> well, I, as long as they don't. That's where there's some overlap between us. We, we, we both like the juice. Mm. Sometimes. You were smirking. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. No more leftovers except the little fun fact of the trivia about this podcast is that this whole time I've been watching like carpenter bees like kind of float around in the window right behind your head and it's been very distracting. <laughs> huh, I, I have been wondering what you're looking at because it's not at me. Yeah. They're... Um, I, I know I'm supposed to like bees. I really don't like carpenter bees. They like have... They dive bomb me when I right. like yeah. perpetually every spring. They like just choose me when I walk out the front door. They dive bomb me and no one else in our family. It really has created a war. Yeah. So 140 year old wooden house. <laughs> that is the trivia every for spring. you guys today. Um, we do have a good guitar or we do have an encore um, Howlin' Wolf. I have one from um, text as well. Baby. Oh, awesome. Um, we love to hear your feedback. I love to hear um, other people's perspectives on Jim and Matt or Jim and Jim and his preachings. I'm looking at this podcast this email i can't use words today what's wrong i'm gonna read this um email from scott he wrote hey jim and emily i enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast with jim and matt i do have two questions for you jim you and matt talked a little bit about the difference between preaching and teaching matt talked about how he did two sermons on revelation 20 the first one pointing to Christ and the second one getting into some of the more technical parts Mm -hmm. during the podcast the two of you talked a little bit about how Um, preaching focuses more on the application to life and also pointing towards Christ. And I was wondering if this, there, if there is anything else you'd like to say that makes a difference between preaching a text and teaching a text, if that makes sense. I'll get to a second question after you talk about that. Yeah. My take on that, I forget which Supreme court justice it was in the 1960s when the Supreme court was trying to define pornography in public spaces and the Supreme Court justice said sure it's hard to define pornography but I know it when I see it to me that captures some of the difference between lecturing and preaching I do think there's a place occasionally for lecturing and maybe I could add that back to my repertoire in our church in Texas I would do an occasional lecture style sermon where I wasn't worrying about application I wasn't worrying about hooks and storytelling to draw people in And it was more straight, here's a lot of content that I think is really important. I'm not crazy about doing that on a regular basis because I think people people tune out. So in addition to what Scott said, Matt talked about, I think for preaching there is, and there should be with preachers if they think there's not, they're misunderstanding their own craft. There's a rhetorical dimension to it where I think less so with a lecture but with preaching, you have a beginning, you have an end, you want themes to come to get to come together. 
the sermon, I talked about God that making God that makes demands, but concluded with that again. I used the what wondrous love is this love so amazing so di- love so divine demands my soul my life my all said that at the beginning said that at the end use the elvis bubble at the beginning use use it at the end so so thinking about sermons as a discrete rhetorical unity is something that i think is singular to something like preaching and less so with lecturing the other thing and and tell me what you think about this Lectures are just harder to listen to. And speaking of people from our past, Norm Coop had a brother who was a professor of history at Dartmouth, Alan Coop, who's still going, at least. He he was a preacher on the side, lecturer and professor of of history. I never had him for class, but he apparently was a great lecturer. Yeah, I did have him for class. Yes. Scary smart. Right. Scary smart. But he's the exception to the rule. Like every once in a while, yeah. you'll 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 have an Where expert each, right, lecturer. Each lecturer is actually crafted as well as a as well as preaching. Like right. their story narrative through yeah um, the through line through the lecture. It's yeah, it's interesting to think about. Yep. Um, he kind of follows up asking a similar, we're asking you to flesh out it. Maybe you already have addressed this, addressed this, but mm-hmm. here he goes. Also, I was wondering how you balanced the preaching and teaching in your sermon prep. Is there a point when you look at the text and you say or think, I have really got to get into some more technical things because of this text. And how do you find that balance? So one of the category distinctions that the Puritans in the 16th, 1600s, 1700s in England, they, they would make the distinction between doctrine and use. So one of their triads for preaching was doctrine, reason, and use. So doctrine was unpacking the scriptures for theological content. Reason was giving both scriptural and extra scriptural reasons for why this is true. And then use, uh, what does this mean for us? And, you know, I'm I'm not saying that we should just copy and paste Puritan sermons onto the present day. People do it. I think they're kind of boring. Even though I've profited a ton from going back and reading a, a ton of Puritans. So <laughs> nice I, I want to be clear about that. I'm, I'm saying like a Puritan style sermon copied and pasted to sure. 2021 might not be the best idea. But there's always the use question for me that governs how much doctrine and how much reason. So if I think, if I go more in a direction of unpacking a concept, either as it relates to scriptures or something going on in culture, I still want there to be a payoff. Mm -hmm. So there is like a bottom line payoff question, which is one of the things that I love about preaching. I think in my own secret origin podcast that we did together, talked about preaching as a vulgar art vulgar in the sense of like mobile vulgus simply the crowd okay, okay, not okay. negative oh love getting that yeah, back yeah, in yeah. the the whole idea about you know preaching not being high concept for the sake of high concept but where there are high concepts and even the deep things of god it's for people to embody and live out right no oh, good stuff um i think you have another message from a got Howlin a Wolf. text from howlin wolf brandon okay. he said he liked it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Good, and he he also specifically said really liked it. And so he's a he's a seminary student and said he particularly likes. Don't take this the wrong way. Uh-oh. The preacher origin stories. Oh yeah. Uh, as as somebody who is a burgeoning preacher himself. Sure. I do so like those. Also, can sprinkle those in. I I actually do like thinking about 
people's stories and how God has brought them to the place they are. And I think it's good to like examine um, what's going on in other people's brains, not just yours. So mm. I was a fan too. Yeah, I prefer mine. <laughs> Um, anyways, so thank you guys for for writing in. Um, we appreciate the feedback. Postsundayblues at gmail.com. Right. That's where you can go to us. Some of you, many of you also know other ways to get to us, but um, <laughs> including in person, it's maybe. cryptic. <laughs> in a couple of weeks. There we go. Um, we'll be finally in person. I am, I am very excited to see many of you again. Maybe not hug you, but <laughs> for various reasons. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to plug? Things coming up? Podcast next week, Post Sunday Blues. Eric Mitchell, our executive pastor, Ooh. is preaching this coming Sunday morning. So, and you'll get another week off and it will be the Mitchell Postmortem. It's oh. going to be fun. His first appearance on the Post Sunday Blues. Um, yeah. Write in some questions for Eric. I, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. I don't know. Start start brewing yeah i'm looking forward to it I'm, I'm excited for him to jump into this elijah sermon series right well thanks again for listening everybody again feel free to rate review subscribe pass this podcast along and share yeah share it to someone who you think might benefit just from um th thinking a little bit deeper about our sermon um thinking yeah. about these concepts i think it's it's a good exercise i think it's a good exercise for me to sit here and talk about it i don't know about listen no it was good for me <laughs> Anyways, how about you guys? How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Superman versus Flash thoughts? I don't tolerate DC. You've taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> what? I taught you well, Padawan. Okay, that's good. <laughs>